0: Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I am Ruth Haley Barton, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, Steve Weens, Senior Pastor of Genesis in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And we are coming to you on Easter Monday. So we've made it through Lent. He is risen indeed. We've made it through Lent, and we're on the other side. And so we want to take a minute to talk about what it's like to practice resurrection what is it like to live in a world where a resurrection has happened and so there are these stories from the disciples Uh, one of the things i love most about jesus is this part of scripture where uh, after his resurrection he could have been having a party he could have been high-fiving it all over the place he could have you know, been hobnobbing with important people, but instead what he does is he goes and he seeks out all of his precious broken disciples who are grieving and sad, and he picks up with them where he's left off, and he brings to them what they most need. It's just the most precious thing about Jesus that he just literally proactively seeks out his disciples who need something from him and he communicates with them on the other side of the resurrection. So our lectionary gives us John 20 and so Steve you're going to read John 20 for us verses 1 through 18 and I will jump in when a female voice is needed.
1: Yes. Early on the first day of the week while it was still dark Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him,
0: Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away.
1: Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew,
0: Rabboni, which means teacher.
1: Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples,
0: I have seen the Lord.
1: And she told them that he had said these things to her.
0: This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Ruth, there's so much there.
0: Oh, I know. What are we going to do? It's so exciting. You start. You start. Well,
1: there's so much to notice. Number one, the first evangelist is a woman.
0: Absolutely. Amen, (laughs) brother. Can we name that? (laughs) Yes, we can. I I don't want
1: to be too repetitive, but that is absolutely (laughs) biblically true.
0: That is absolutely true. The first evangelist
1: is a woman. Go and tell the boys what you have seen.
0: The boys, that's right. Go and tell those guys. (laughs) And, you know, Steve, some historians actually say that one of the things that makes the resurrection story so believable is that it was it was named that women were doing these things that no one expected them to do. And if anybody was trying to make a historical account of Jesus' resurrection that was actually historically believable, they would have left that detail out. I mean, it's just so stunning and out of character because not only was, you know, were were women the, the first evangelists. But they also were the ones that Jesus gave the guidance to, you know, like, yep. just, you know, you talked about the boys, you know, he didn't give the instruction to Peter to tell the rest of the male disciples. He gave the instructions about what his followers were supposed to do next to women. So yep. that was a leadership role as well, in my in my mind, oh, um, yeah. just really signaling that in the community gathered around the presence of Jesus things were going to be different with men and women because uh, at that time, women weren't even allowed to be in the same room with men other than their husbands. They were kept behind the curtain in the synagogue. They weren't allowed to study the Torah. I mean, this is so striking that it, it really does bear taking a moment to really name it, that this was historically very significant and that the community gathered around Jesus was a community that was not encumbered by all the cultural baggage about male and female, but Jesus was saying you know we're all together in this and you know we're all going to serve based on our intimate personal relationship with Jesus we're all going to serve based on giftedness and we're all going to serve at my initiative that's the other yes. thing Jesus is just saying I get to pick whoever I want and I pick her <laughs> yes <laughs> to yes. be the first evangelist and to be the one to go back and give the other disciples their instructions so to me it's a powerful symbol that that things are going to be different in the post resurrection world in all sorts of different ways and this is one of them
1: that's fascinating. Of course, I've thought about that before, but I hadn't thought this is these are new marching orders for a post-resurrection age. It includes mm-hmm. men and women, and later Jews and Gentiles together, and later it just an ever-expanding circle of inclusion but it starts with men and women. And by the way, I think we should title this episode. I get to pick who I want and I pick her. <laughs> That's
0: right. <laughs> That's right. Um, I,
1: I think it's, I think it's so precious. And I love that there's so much of this particular scripture portion that gets given to the interaction that Jesus and Mary have together. Mm-hmm. It, it, it moves slowly and I love it. So, I mean, I see mary stands outside the tomb weeping she looks in and she sees two angels and so that's weird Um, but they interact with her why are you weeping and then she said they have taken away my lord and i do not know where they have laid him and you know so at this point She thinks the body of her Lord has been taken away, the dead body. So, you know, I always like to ask the questions. I'm just so curious. But, you know, my main question is, what is Mary doing? Mary Magdalene here. What is she doing at the tomb? Why is she why has she come? What is she hoping to see?
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Does she think the tomb is open or closed? I mean, what you know, she's just she's she walks there almost like, what do you think, Ruth? Why do you Mm -hmm. think she's there?
0: Well, I think it's an expression of devotion, um, that even though at this moment she doesn't think that she can be with Jesus in his physical form anymore, she still wants to just be the close, to the closest place where she could be near him at all, which would be, before knowing about the resurrection, it would be being near his body and being near the place where it's possible to feel close to him at all, you know, just like we go to visit a grave, And, you know, for some people going to a grave, taking flowers to a grave, spending time at a grave, there's meaning in that because you just want to continue some sort of communion or you even go back to remember to be with your memories of that person. And somehow it's easier to do that in the place where their remains are, you know. So I think it's, I I do, and even thinking about who Mary was, it's an expression of intimacy or a longing for intimacy or hanging on to something, you know, hanging on to whatever might be left of an opportunity to be with Jesus or any any kind of expression of that. So I think it's her desire to prolong her connections with him, you know.
1: Yeah, and you know, some historians really consider that she was the disciple that was the most closest to Jesus, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, some yeah. some do, and, and I can buy that based on this particular scene where she's right. clearly so devoted and so distraught, and she gets to the tomb, looks in,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: sees a couple of angels, and then they <laughs> they enter into a conversation, which mm-hmm. is weird, but she's weeping. She's weeping because she thinks someone has taken away the body of her Lord.
0: You know, Steve, that takes me to the place of thinking about the fact that Jesus was willing to have as an intimate friend and colleague a woman, that that's another way in which Jesus is signaling the fact that men and women can be together in intimate ways that don't have to be sexualized, you know, because I think that's one of the biggest reasons why we you know, don't think that men and women can be close and can be friends or can be colleagues is because of that part. But Jesus is saying, I think Jesus all through his life was actually redeeming relationships between men and women. And here we see so clearly that he's picking up this very intimate friendship with with Mary, who is a woman. And they're having a conversation alone, you know, here in, in the garden. Yes. So I don't know, I'm just noticing all the ways in which Jesus is just turning things upside down and saying, Life on the other side of re- resurrection is going to be different in so many ways and you have no idea. But I'm, you know, but I'm going to change so many things that have been empty or broken. And so he reestablishes, and this was his choice, yeah, to reestablish connection with Mary in the garden in this intimate way to pick up this intimate friendship that they had. And of course, what he's also using it as an opportunity to do is to tell her it's going to be different now.
1: Yeah. You
0: know, you're not going to be able to relate to me the same way you used to. And he knew, of course, that he was going to go back, that his physical form was going to go back to heaven, so they would not be carrying on um, the same kind of friendship that they had before. And even that is consideration. I think he's just being so considerate of her and saying things are going to change. You can't cling to the previous experience you had with me. You're going to have to be open to another way of being with me, which is what that phrase, do not hold on to me, um, because I've not yet ascended. Jesus is trying to signal that the relationship is going to change and it's going to be different Uh, of course it's reminiscent of what he said about the Holy Spirit coming so that the Holy Spirit could be closer than they could have ever imagined and that he was going to be close to them in a whole different way so there's a lot going on here and Jesus is telling her some things and he seeks her out to tell her I think in the intimacy of their friendship he's trying to say you know I am alive I want you to be the first to know and things are going to be changing and they're going to be different and I want you to hear it from me. I think that's so considerate and loving.
1: I do too, Ruth. And I'm so glad that it's included in in the gospel. And I see a couple things. Number one, I see the writers do something kind of brilliant here. The writer, the writers, we have a man and a woman in the garden and Mm -hmm. a new beginning, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's just reminiscent to the garden of Eden. Yeah. Uh, where a man and a woman maybe made some missteps and and went the opposite way of trusting God and this is saying just like you said Ruth there is a new beginning happening here post-resurrection that is marked by relational trust and intimacy and mutuality and and I so then that's number one number two I love the pictures. Do not hold on to me. I I, I think mm-hmm. there's something very instructive of all of us. Like yes. mm-hmm. we are tempted to want to hold on to an old experience of that we've had with God with Jesus, instead of following God into where God is leading us and how God is leading us to understand God in a different way, a more expansive way. Don't hold on to the old ways in which. That, that you needed me. And those were good. Those were great. Yes, they were necessary. Absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But now there's something else that I want to show you. And um, and the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Um, and it reminds me of different things that Jesus said to his disciples. There are some things that I can't tell you now because you, you can't handle it now. But there will be a time later where the Holy Spirit will guide you into all things. So anyway, I'm just underlining everything you just said and saying that I think it's so beautiful.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, then she gets given the the job of, like you said, being the first evangelist, being the first one to announce or declare the good news of the resurrection, which is stunning. It's just yep. absolutely stunning and life-changing and all that. And then we can't go into all of this, but the rest of the book of John, and I hope those who are listening will take time to sit in the stories uh, in the rest of chapter 20 and verse 21 to see that just like Jesus gave her what she uniquely needed in their relationship in the garden, oh, yeah. that he did that for all the disciples that he loved. Every single one of the encounters is different based on what they needed. You know, so for Thomas, Thomas needed more proof, you know, mm-hmm. and so Jesus gave him that. Put your finger here and see my hands. Um, Peter needed something else. Peter needed actual reconciliation because he had betrayed and he needed healing for his wounded soul for having betrayed Jesus so desperately. Um, and then the disciples that were fishing and he helps them catch fish mm. and he fixes breakfast for them. And it's like, you just got to love this man. You just got to love yeah. this man who just yeah. knew cook. every yes, he can cook. That's right. <laughs> he can have a meaningful conversation. <laughs> he, can he
1: can take time. He can listen. I tell
0: you, you know, that that Jesus knew his disciples so well yeah. that he knew what each one of them needed. And he, and he could imagine what their souls needed to be healthy and whole and healed on the other side of the violent weekend that they had experienced together. And Jesus takes his time and his energy and his focus, and he seeks each one of them out, and he gives them the kind of interaction that they need uniquely. I mean, it's John 20 and 21 is amazing in that I've way. I've never seen and, that
1: before. Mm-hmm. I mean, in that way, that he gives yeah. each of them what they need uniquely. Yeah,
0: it's, it's so intimate and so... Um, that Jesus would take time to do that before he goes before his ascension that he would make sure that all these disciples got the touch they needed before his ascension is extraordinary to me Mm. and encouraging and so I wonder if what we could ask of Jesus you know on the other side of our Lenten journey on the other side of the dark weekend on the other side uh, now of the resurrection I wonder if the question isn't what do we need from Jesus at this point um, and would be would would we be either willing to ask for it or maybe even recognize that Jesus is already coming to us in ways that we uniquely need, and um, also to see Easter as a season. That's the other thing; it's important yeah. for us to say that in the church, in the Christian calendar, Easter is a season called Easter Tide. It is not just a day. It takes a whole lot more than a day to live into what it means to live on the other side of a resurrection. And so even to take the next you know few days of this week uh, and to, to see Easter as a season and to sit in each one of these stories about mm. how Jesus reached out and to see if Jesus comes to us mm. in a way that's unique and needed and brings healing on the other side of the season that we've been in. I love that. Well, could I close us with... A little prayer.
1: That would be wonderful.
0: Alright, I'm reading from a favorite little book called Bread of Tomorrow from a, a poet called David Adam. It is the Lord in the dawning, in the renewal, in the arrival, in this new day. It is the Lord in the crowd, in the church, in the conversation, in the crisis. It is the Lord in our joys, in our sorrows, in our sickness, in our health. It is the Lord in the stable, in the humble, in the stranger, in the poor. It is the Lord risen and returned, alive forevermore, giving me new life, Saving me in strife, it is the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.